This podcast is brought to you by nobody. We don't have advertisements. Yes. However, it is dedicated to my dad and all the people out there who support their loved ones in their journey to wholeness. Welcome to What It Takes to Be Wild. My name is Grace and I am your host. This month, we talk about mountaineering and what it takes to face such a huge mental and physical challenge. Today's guest is Sammy Bassett, an amateur mountaineer, skydiver, professional scuba diver, and entrepreneur who was mentored by our last guest, Dionette Wells. Sammy is here with us to talk about how the courage of women has influenced his life in significant ways and how he passes those lessons on to his community. Sammy, welcome to the show. How's it going? It's going awesome. So tell us how you know and have learned from Dionette. So I grew up in a, in a small community in Mountain, California, and uh, I basically grew up with all of Dionette's kids that she mentioned in the last podcast. And uh, we, were, we were a very, very tight group. And growing up, you know, we kind of did everything together. And they were always the adventurous bunch, you know. And uh, me and her, me and her son, would always get into various activities that would either raise local alarm or uh, local praise, depending on how dangerous it was at the time. But you know, we liked to push things a little bit. And uh, he ended up being a seven summoner as well. And you know, Dionette was really good about always keeping the focus on what they wanted to do individually. And so when the family was hit with some tragedy um, in around 2015, uh, I was was actually recovering from a very bad injury myself. Um, I was in a motorcycle accident where I had broken both of my legs. I ended up with 34 screws, two plates and a rod and one ACL replacement and some another handful of screws in the other. And um, at that point, you know, I'd, I'd known Dionette for a very long time, basically my whole life. And um, I, was, I was in a wheelchair. My doctors were telling me that I would probably never walk without aid again. And it, it, it really irritated me. And around the same time, a, a very tragic event happened um, within Dionette's family. And we kind of came together through this event and um, it reopened a dialogue that, that we had not had for, for a couple of years. And we started to talk. And I, I was at a place where I felt pretty shut down. Um, I couldn't walk, I was immobilized, I was in a wheelchair. And that's a, that's a tough spot to be in, especially for a year, a year plus. And I was, I was speaking with Dionette and, you know, what, what she was overcoming at the time was beyond that to, to, to a maximum scale. And I, I was looking at her strength through, throughout the process. And there was a, there was an odd connection that for some reason, you know, when I, when I was young, I went through a very tragic experience with losing a parent. So me and Dionette were very comfortable around each other, um, talking about, you know, more sensitive and difficult subjects. And, uh, I was really kind of down on myself at that point. I was trying to figure out, you know, what am I going to do from here? I've always been an athlete. I've always been a diver. I've always been a motocross racer and 
uh, stunt rider on motorcycles and, you know, but climb, climbing was never really a part of it for me. And as soon as my restriction or my, my capability to walk was taken away from me, I realized how much I took it for granted. Uh, so I was talking to Dean that and she basically was sitting there telling me, you know, these doctors are full of crap. If you want to do it, you can do anything you want. And she actually propositioned me with the idea of Kilimanjaro. It, it was totally ludicrous in my mind. I mean, absolutely insane. I've never climbed anything in my life. I've never been backpacking at that point. And I had been sitting in a wheelchair for a year being told I was never going to walk again. But she kept driving this idea into my head. You know, you got to go, you, should, you got to try this mountain middle. It'll really bring something back for you. It was funny. I was driving home one day from work. I was working as a diver at the time, but couldn't obviously dive. So I was really just tending a lot of gear. And I, I lived down at the bottom of a canyon in Malibu and I saw this peak. I pulled over out of nowhere and I got out of my car and I left my walker in my car and I said, I'm going to get to the top. Cause she had always talked about how the summit was this, it kind of created a new feeling for you. Um, and I had never experienced that, you know, I, I experienced it in other sports, but, but nothing like climbing. I think it took me six hours to get to the top of that trail that day. And it hurt, it hurt badly. But when I got to that ridge line and I saw the sun setting over the ocean, over that ridge line and realized that I was at the top and that I had done it without aid, without assistance. And I hurt. I wanted to quit. I didn't want to keep going. It sucked. It was miserable. I was in an excruciating amount. Um, but I had this little voice in the back of my head, um, which was kind of half Dionette and half my friend who passed away, Johnny, her, her son. I just kept saying, go get there. It'll be worth it when you do. And I, I got to the top, and this is after a year of not walking. I literally broke down in tears. Um, I was so overwhelmed with appreciation for one, being able to even walk up that trail, two, being able to look over the place that I call home, which I live in a paradise and I know it. And I'm so thankful for it. I never take it for granted. I'm looking out over the mountains and the ocean and the sun was setting. And it was just, it was this breath of fresh air that I had not had in a very long time. And it was a healthy one. You know, I was involved in other extreme sports from freestyle motocross to Harley stunting and things like that. And that comes with a certain crowd and a certain type of people. That's fine. But this was a, this was a whole new breath, you know? So after that, I sat down and I said, okay, what's, what's really, what's the deal with this Kilimanjaro thing? And Dionette said, you know, I think you could totally do it. So I asked my doctor and he said, you can absolutely not do this. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> we sat down, we, you know, we talked about it and I said, what's it really going to take? And, and she kind of explained it and she got me in touch with Alpine Ascents International. And I was talking to Chris Thalman over there, the, the head of, the, of, of Alpine Ascents. I said, you know, I'd, I'd really like to give this a shot if for nothing else, just to uh, try and support the memory and the foundations that my friend who had, who had passed away, Dionette's son, had, had supported when he climbed. And I kind of made a promise to myself right there that I was going to do it. I mean, I just, I threw out my wheelchair, I threw out my walker, I got rid of my canes, I made it not an option anymore. And I started putting in work. I'll, I'll never forget it. I went to Sports Chalet because those were still around at the time. And uh, I went and bought all this backpacking gear, all the wrong stuff. And uh, 
I came home. My my partner at the time looked at me and said, "You're never going to do. You hate hiking. You're never going to do this." And we had a we had a trip booked to go to Europe that summer, and uh, so I canceled it. And instead, I said, "We're going to go backpacking for thirty days." I think I think she thought I lost my mind at that point, and I was still injured. So we, so we did. We had this amazing backpacking across Northern California, where we summited some smaller peaks in California, and then. Um, seven months out of the wheelchair and headed off to Kilimanjaro. And to this day, and I've done much larger, harder climbs, to this day, that was the hardest climb of my life. I wanted to turn around every chance I could, but it was not an option. I had uh, basically promised Tianette I would get to the top and, and plant a flag, and, and I got to. And it was, it was probably the most special moment in my life to date. Um, I got to stand on the summit of one of the the first of the seven summits and plant a flag for one of my very best friends in the whole world to represent, you know, a Parkinson's foundation and genocide foundation. And none of that would have happened if it wasn't for Dianette telling me I could do it. That gave me my complete confidence back, my ability to walk, my ability to say, I'm going to push hard. I'm going to go for the rest of the seven summits. I'm going to become a climber. I'm going to become an athlete. And, uh, you know, that's ultimately what led to, to, to me meeting you at a skydiving <laughs> festival. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I think is, is so important about these types of activities and then getting out and, you know, there's an acceptance, there's a, there's a acceptance in these, in these communities and you really don't find in other places. There's this communal bond. And I think that one of the bigger issues right now, especially for young women trying to get involved in this stuff, is they might not know where to look or where to start or how to get going. So if you were going to give a young woman advice in getting involved in, in sports and taking on that voice in her head, what would you say? I think there's a huge misconception that extreme sports, especially these life-threatening, high-risk sports, mountaineering, um, deep-sea diving, technical diving, skydiving, are these male-dominated sports. And on any given day on a mountain or at a rock wall or at a drop zone, you will see just as many, if not more women than men a lot of the time. And usually they're a lot better than us. <laughs> so <laughs> they pay more attention, I think, probably while they're learning. But uh, that's been my experience anyway. You know, we're our own worst enemies when it comes to barriers to entry for things like this. Whether you're a young woman or a young man or you're, you're you know, we all have our own insecurities, but it really starts right at that base level. And I think Dionette said something about getting up off the couch. I completely agree with the, with the theory of, you know, having something planned and booked is a huge motivator. Absolutely. When you know you've got that training deadline, you've, you've made an investment into this already, things become a little bit more real. And that's definitely a huge motivator to get up off the couch. But for those who want to even look at what that might look like to get there, that's a big step. You've already made the decision at that point, hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go climb that mountain, so I'm going to spend money. And that's a great motivator for the training. But as far as getting to that step, it's, it's a lot easier than people think, you know. It could be as easy as going right now onto your Facebook. And if you think rock climbing is cool and you've never tried it, go to the group section. Check out SoCal Climbing and put up a post. Say, hey, new to the sport, I'm interested. 
is there anything anyone could share? I'm an admin in many groups like that, and, and people do this all the time. And the wealth of information that comes, and 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 the acceptance, and the you know willingness to help and guide and teach that comes out of these communities, you you don't see it in other places. You certainly don't see it in the workforce. You don't see it in social meetups. You don't see it in this kind of pop culture city life vibe that a lot of us live in but something about nature and the outdoors it, it it brings people together from all backgrounds any various backgrounds and, and puts them on this level playing field where they're only competing with themselves i love your um point about it being different than like work or social or that's the first thing i found about skydiving is that it and we actually say sky fam it's a it's a family and Oh my gosh, people way different than me that I wouldn't hang out with necessarily or that I might be frustrated with at work that we end up bonding together in a way that you just don't do. And it's, it is like a family. I have never had anything like that. You know, I think there's this connection that comes from, in particular, life-threatening sports. Um, yes. And, and, a, and a, lot of, a lot of people look at the life-threatening aspect as a barrier to injury, and it, and it shouldn't be. Because really, when you, when you take the time to train correctly and do this stuff the way it should be done, give it the proper focus, it's a lot safer than, than people think. I was one of those guys that did all kinds of dangerous things. I was like the last one of my friends to ever go skydiving, and I'm the one that like went all in with it. You know what I mean? When you look at this stuff, we're all kind of on this this level playing field uh, in these sports where we're looking at it as we're not competing with each other. You're really battling your own limitations and the elements, and that's it. There's no one else involved. And I think that that's crucial to, to self-development. Um, I, I, I'm sure you can relate that first time stepping out of the door of a plane with no one attached to you is a huge mental hurdle yes. but then you do it and then you do it a few more times and all of a sudden it starts to kind of become comfortable and beyond that it becomes fun and then it becomes second nature you know what i mean so i think just taking that first step even just to put it out in the world and say hey i'm interested in this just to go and look at the groups and say hey i'm interested these action sports communities are so welcoming and all prejudice goes straight out the door yeah. As, as soon as you're there, it's between you and the rock, or you and that door, or you and that mountain. That's it. The impact that Dianette had on your life to um, help you get past really what sounds like a very brutal part of your life is uh, very emotional. I can feel it when you talk about it and very significant. I'd love to hear how do you pay that forward in your own community, in your own life? <laughs> well, you know, as you said, it was it was a difficult period in my life, uh, from being injured to being stuck. I really felt stuck. There was substance abuse involved, and I found this outlet that was not only a complete flush, but it was healthy. All of a sudden, it was like I didn't want to be up with my buddies till midnight drinking beers because I wanted to be up the next morning on the trail to be ready to, you know, go set some gear in the wall. I wanted to be ready to get up and go get that balloon jump first thing in the morning. So all of a sudden my whole lifestyle kind of started to shift and, and the way I started eating, the way I started exercising, training in a healthy way, 
the people I started surrounding myself with. It really trickled out full spectrum, you know, from what, what I would call a somewhat dark place to this life of exploration and adventure and culture and experience. That is a gift in and of itself. And so what I've really tried to do to pay it forward is I, in my own local community, I work with young guys who have lost parents that are dealing with addiction issues. And I work with them one-on-one and I mentor them. And a lot of these guys, um, people have never really had interactions with nature. And when you're doing these types of activities, trust is everything. If I'm going to leave the door of the plane with you, we need to know that our, our jump plan is dialed. Because when things go wrong in these sports, it's not it's not pretty all the time. I've found that one of the biggest ways that I can bond with the guys, the younger kids that I'm trying to, to help out, I'll get them out in the water. I'll take them out. And we'll sit out in the surf lineup and talk. We'll do a therapy session out there. They're really not trusting me. I'll put them in a harness and I'll lower them down a hundred foot wall on the street of my house. You know, sometimes it's, 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 it's a little bit of kicking and screaming and moaning and getting there. And then uh, by the end of the day, there's this, you know, it's all hugs and big smiles. And I can't believe I did that. The feeling of self-worth from accomplishing these goals, stepping through your own fears. I mean, that's about as empowering as, as anything can get. I had this incredible fear of heights. And now I'm a licensed skydiver and a a big wall trout climber and an ice climber. And so the first time that I was able to get up 150 feet off the ground and place a piece of lead climbing gear, I think I was probably grinning for a week. You know what I mean? And, and it's that feeling that we want to extend to everybody. The mentors that I even look up to in skydiving, the best skydivers I know are all girls. <laughs> They're, they've got way better form than we do. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Same with climbing. I mean, you look at these girls like Margot Hayes, that are setting new standards in, in rock climbing. These young girls that are pushing routes that most professional climbers that are twice their age cannot sum up how they're achieving these feats. I mean, these are huge steps forward. And I think that we're in a really, really great time right now for that to happen. Women have such a voice right now. And there's so much going on for women in society in general that I think this is the perfect time. If you're someone out there just listening to this or sitting there and wondering, you know, how do I take that first step or what is that first step or is this for me? You know, this is the time where you can really get out there and voice it to people and get feedback on a level that we've never had capable before. I think a lot of people are intimidated by these groups of people because they say, hey, these, you know, these people are jumping out of planes, they're climbing these mountains and these rocks. They're the humblest people you'll meet. Thank you so much. <laughs> what else do you really want to share? Um, if you know that you have this audience out there of women who are possibly on the precipice of doing something and just if they just go and do a Facebook thing or, or fi- find a group to be a part of is a great first step. Emotionally, you had mentioned something about the empowerment of overcoming fear. Can you say a little bit about what the rewards are? <laughs> overcoming fears can go one of two ways. It's either extraordinarily rewarding or um, exactly what you thought it was going to be. <laughs> That's the biggest part of everything that we're all doing. It's stepping into that unknown. Not everybody thrives for that unknown, and that's fine. 
But for those who are curious, but that ledge is just a little bit too scary to step over. That's where a lot of these mediums can help. If you're going to go online you're gonna, and you're thinking about trying climbing, you're like, I don't know, none of my friends do this. No one I really know do, does this. You know, okay, I'll look at the Facebook group. That's cool. Find one of the meetup dates and say, hey, I'm going to come and talk to someone in, in the comment section and commit yourself. That'll kind of give you that extra nudge out the door. Uh, I've dealt with a lot of fear-based situations, especially in my main career, which is deep sea diving. You know, things go wrong, really fear and especially panic and things like that. There's not time for them. They're not, they're not beneficial. They're not helpful. They don't do anything for you. I could spend 45 seconds underwater panicking, or I could spend 45 seconds underwater problem solving. And the difference is I get to come home that day. It's much easier to say than to, than to practice. But when fear or panic starts to set in, take a step back, almost separate yourself from yourself and look from the outside and say, you know, what problems can I be solving right now? What can I do to overcome this rather than be swallowed up by it? And I think that's, that's huge. Having a commitment as that first step, that's, that's huge. You know, say, I'll be there Monday. And then be there Monday, you know? That is the biggest hurdle. And then usually once you kind of show up, you realize, hey, this isn't as daunting as I thought it was. And these people are really welcoming. And hey, before I'm even actually doing the thing I was afraid to do, I'm like all of a sudden excited about the next steps of it. You don't always need to take a gigantic leap, but embracing the unknown is, is everything. That's what drives us. And make a commitment and stick to it. That's really the basis because once that fire is lit, it's really hard to put it out. It's so true. And I think that's part of when you say it's easier than you think it is. I think that's part of it is that you start to be pulled into it. And so the only energy that you initially put in that's the hardest is that first that launch. That's right. The launch is the hardest. And once you get there, you meet all these people. And for skydiving, I definitely had a desire to learn to do it. But I think more than that, wanting to be around those people drove me to the next step. You know, these really are the most accepting people in the world. You can show up to a skydiving event and people are wearing inflatable costumes or raver outfits or, you know, dressed up like their favorite anime character little onesie bunny or whatever and we jump out of planes we have a good time we have fun we laugh we you know it, the level of acceptance and that goes for all of these sports you don't get that in softball and baseball it's a completely different community and it's probably more welcoming than any other one you know we embrace everyone from the guy that sits at his desk all day but likes to go big on the weekends to the full-on van lifers that are out there every day at the drop zone doing what they got to do. So, you know, I think it's a, it's a really special place to be and it's got a spiritual connection to it. Like an energy that everybody feels as soon as they're around it. Yeah, sure does. That's what I love about it too. Well, thank you for being on the show today. It was awesome to have you and great uh, advice. Thank you for having me. I hope a bunch of girls out there uh, hear something in, in, in any one of these and, you know, decide to, to take that next step and hopefully end up in a skydiving boogie or on the summit of Kilimanjaro or wherever you want to be. There's outlets to get there. There's people that want to help you get there. These sports are mentoring sports. 
get out there, have fun, enjoy this world. We got the ultimate playground, use it. Definitely. And in case anybody's wondering, Sammy is taken. He is newly married <laughs> and very happy. <laughs> so sorry about that, ladies. <laughs> He's a fun person to know. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Sammy. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. That was Sammy Bassett, an extraordinary person with extraordinary mentors. Please leave us a message at anchor.fm forward slash what it takes to be wild with your personal journey, and we will play it on the air. Next month, we travel the road of internal personal growth. Our March 1st episode, we interview Ari Redman, an athletic instructor who lost over 50 pounds as if her life depended on it, because it did. She talks about her journey of weight loss and how she quit a lucrative job to return to health stay on course, and help others to do the same for their own lives. Join us for this moving conversation about a young woman who transformed from fat to fit to amazing. Help us grow our audience by visiting, liking, and sharing about us on Facebook so we can impact more women across the world. Until next time, be bold and be wild.